Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 16, says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." I was thinking this week about my own salvation and recognizing the fact that in order for me to come to saving faith in Christ, somebody had to share the gospel with me. And somebody else had led that person to Christ. And somebody else had shared the gospel with that person. And somebody else must have shared it with them. And you know what? If you think about that, there is a chain from you all the way back to Jesus Christ in experience. Because it started with Jesus Christ. He chose the twelve apostles. They laid the foundation of the church and began building the church, which is people reaching people with the gospel. You know what? Your chain is going to be different than mine. might even go through different countries if you followed it back through history in the time period. But there's a chain for each one of us that goes all the way back to Christ and the apostles of people sharing their faith. And that's exactly, that's exactly what this verse is about that we're looking at this morning that Jesus shared with his apostles. He gathers them together and he has all those people there with him and he tells them his plan. And the apostle Paul would echo that plan to Timothy later. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. That's how the church of Jesus Christ has gotten so enormous over the face of the entire world, think about it, it started with 12 people. We're in that process. We're a link in the chain. We're not the end of the chain. We're a link in the chain. Christ wants your link to be connected to multiple links coming off of yours. Well, the process, what is that process? The process that Jesus put in place for for building His church, which He promised us back in Matthew 16, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and He's going to build His church. The process upon which He builds His church is a process which we call discipleship. And so as we consider discipleship here this morning, that's what I want to look at. We're going to look at three different elements involved in this discipleship. The first element of discipleship that we see is we see the priority of discipleship. This is a very important process. In fact, if you think about it, if this process stops, the church stops. I think every church talks about that from time to time. How how every church is always one generation from being gone. The adults in our church don't pass on their faith to the children. The children don't get trained up. If they don't come to faith in Christ themselves and get nurtured and brought up in their faith, then what happens? They're going to be absent when it comes time for the have the leadership of the next generation. And we're always one generation away from extinction. This process has to continue. And Jesus recognized the importance of this. In fact, look at, look at how He starts it. He says, All authority has been given to Me. What is He saying? He's saying... I'm the boss. This is authoritative. This is command. This is coming from the top. I'm in charge, and this is what I want to happen. You know, Jesus didn't start very many commands that way. In fact, I think this is the only one. Now, that's not to say that authority hasn't been familiar to us as we study the book of Matthew. In fact, we look back at Matthew chapter 7. It says, when he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the people that heard the teaching of Jesus they noticed that He spoke with authority. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6, it says, "...but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." 
He then said to the paralytic, rise and pick up your bed and go home. And so this was at a case, an instant where Jesus was teaching, and they brought this paralyzed person to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus took the opportunity, and instead of saying be healed, he said your sins are forgiven you. And now that caught everybody's attention. The leader's like, oh, wait, who can forgive God? Only God can forgive sins. You shouldn't have said that. Only God can do that. And Jesus asked him a question. He said, which is easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins have been forgiven you or pick up your bed and go home? And obviously the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Why? Because there's no accountability. Right? If somebody says, oh, your sins are forgiven you, well, how do you know if they have been or not? You can't see that. He says, but if I say pick up your mat and go home, there's accountability. Either he picks up his mat and I'm the truth, or he's still not able to pick up his mat and I'm a fraud. But there's accountability here. You can see it. And so Jesus says, I'm going to show you that these two things are connected. My authority to forgive sins is proved by my ability to heal the paralyzed. And he says, now I tell you, pick up your mat and go home. And the guy picked up his mat and he went home. I also think of the centurion. Remember the centurion came to Jesus because his servant was, was near death. And he asked for Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus said, okay, let's go. And the guy stopped him. And he said, no, he said, you know, you, you, don't, you don't have to go. He says, I know how these things work. He says, I'm, I'm a person with authority, and I have authority over me. And when I tell people under my authority, you go do this, they go do it. You just say the word, you give the command, and I know he'll be healed. And Jesus said, I haven't, I haven't found this much faith in all of Israel. And he was healed. So that guy understood the authority of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and trusted it for the healing of his servant. Matthew chapter 10 It says he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and and every affliction. So Jesus, as he's at the point where he sent his disciples out to conduct miracles and to spread the message of the kingdom, it says that he gave them this ability to cast out demons and to work miracles. But notice he uses that word again, that word authority. He gave them the authority to cast out demons and to do these miracles, these healings. Because those things happen underneath the authority of God. And even though we're familiar with Jesus having authority, there's not many places where he stands up and he says, look, I'm in charge, and here's what I want to tell you about, or here's what I want to tell you to do. But that's exactly what he does with this commission. He says, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Now this is what I want you to do, and it's discipleship. I want you to go out and make disciples. So we see the priority of that. Now, now there's two parts of this, the two ways that this flushes out in our life. One is through obedience and one is through persistence. We are under his authority. And so we are told to go make disciples. And so if it's just a matter of obedience. And so he's telling us, go make disciples. And so this is a command. It's something that we're supposed to participate in. So one of the ways that we experience this is in obedience to Christ. If we go on about our life, caught up in our own family, our own hobbies, our own interests, our own events, if we're self-motivated or self-focused, concerned about our own reputations, our own comfort, then we're not going to do this. Then we're not going to carry on the discipleship process that Jesus has put in place. But if we care more about what God thinks about us than what other people think about us. If we care more about the things of Christ than of our own interests, then we are motivated to get involved and motivated to be involved in this process. You know, it's not always comfortable sharing our faith with people. There's, there's a little bit of a fear or a hesitancy that comes with that sometimes. Part of the time it's because we don't 
know how they're going to take it. We don't know if they're going to be offended by it or not. But you know what? When you think about what's, on, what's in line, this, this command to be involved in this discipleship process is a, just a good reflection of the nature of God. Why? Because think of what's on, in line. When we're saved, we're delivered from what? We're delivered from our sin, which condemns us to hell. And so for God to send us out to make disciples, it's consistent with his nature because in his nature, what do we see? We see him being a deliverer, a savior, trying to deliver people from hell. He sent his son to the cross to deliver us from hell. But the message of that, if people don't get the message of that, then they don't get the the benefits of that. They don't receive the salvation from that. And so it's consistent with the nature of God to reach out to sinful mankind and draw them to himself so they can experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. It's also consistent with the book of Matthew. He's been doing that, the whole book of Matthew. He's been telling us about who Christ is, his lineage, that he fits the bill to be the Messiah, how he defeated Satan in the battle at his temptation, how, how he went on from there and he taught. And he shared several chapters of his teaching and then several chapters of his miracles proving that he's the Messiah. And all this was to do what? To bring it to this climax at the end, to bring us to the cross of Jesus Christ where he dies on the cross for our sins, rises again from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And so this is a very fitting conclusion to the book of Matthew because it's doing exactly what Matthew's been doing the whole book for us to take it out to other people and to share Jesus Christ with other people. So for us... To share the message of Jesus Christ with other people is, is loving, it's needed, it's necessary. Without the gospel, they're lost. Without the gospel, their future, their whole eternity is hell. With Jesus Christ, it's heaven. There's so much on the line here. And I think that's exactly why Jesus made a priority of this. is that all authority is given unto me. Now, this is what we need to do. Because eternity is at stake for every individual in the world. So he's saying, look, we need to go out, you need to go out and make disciples. That's the process. You know what? It still doesn't get us past the fact that this can be uncomfortable for us. You know, one of the things that's helped me sometimes is sometimes when I, I feel like, you know what, there's an opportunity here to share the gospel, I should share the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that we should be belligerent. We're always to be gentle. You, you can't push the gospel on anybody. But you can try opening a door. And if the door opens, go in. If they slam it in your face, let it slam. That's okay. But just be there for when it opens, maybe later. But you know what? There's a lot of simple things that sometimes we don't do that aren't that big of a deal to us. I read a, I read a thing, I think it was a couple of years ago, around Easter. And they, after Easter, they did a poll of unchurched people. And they asked unchurched people, if uh, you were invited to go to church on Easter by a friend, neighbor, family member, would you have gone? And of unchurched people that did not go to church that Easter, 70% of them said yes. They would have gone if they were just invited by a friend. And I thought, man, I mean, of all the days of the year where, you can, where it's an evangelistic message, where you're talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that we have in it, and 70% of the unchurched people out there would have come if we only asked. <coughs> Only invited. Wow, what opportunities we miss out on sometimes. So we don't have to be pushy and belligerent about it, but we do need to obey. We do need to be involved in this disciple-making process. We do need to be reaching out to people and, and trying to open doors and trying to share our faith with people. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. Even when you're not trying to be pushy about it, it's still, it's still going to be uncomfortable sometimes. 
And you know one of the things that's helped me at, at times? I remember one, one time when I lived out, like I said, in a bigger area where you don't know people as much. We did a lot more kind of cold contact kind of things. And one of the things we used to do is I used to carry gospel tracts, different, different little uh, like two-fold things that would share the gospel in them. And, and uh, sometimes what i do is like if I was at a grocery store or something like that and you pick up a gallon of milk, put a track where the milk was. Somebody's going to see it, pick it up, read it maybe. Maybe they'll come to Christ, you know. Pump gas, hang the nozzle back up, take a track. It'll kind of curl up and stick it right in the handle of the thing. So the next person who comes to pump gas is going to have the gospel there. Maybe they'll read it. Maybe they'll throw it away. I don't know, but it's an opportunity, right? And so i do those things. I remember one time I was pumping gas. And this lady was pumping gas right on the other side of the thing from me. And I thought, you know what? Rather than sticking one in the handle, well, you could do that too. You should just give her one. And I thought, I don't want to do that. She's going to think, what's this weird guy giving me? I just came to get gas. What are you doing? You know, leave me alone. (laughs) I thought she's going to think I'm weird or something. You know, when you think about it, who who cares? I'm not going to see her again. Who cares if she thinks I'm weird? (laughs) But, but, uh, But there's still that. There's this reputation, this pride thing. I don't know. I think I can't do that. And then the thought occurred to me. I thought, you know what? Am I more concerned about what she thinks of me or what God thinks of me? Well, you can't think like that without getting out of tract. So I got out of tract and I, excuse me, can I give you this? Hurried up and left. So, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, just, it's, it's just sad. It's, a, it's simple obedience. Jesus said, look, I'm the boss and this is what needs to happen. And so if we're following him, this is going to be a big part of our life because that's what he's doing. What's the will of God for your life? Jesus said His will. He's going to be building the church. Then we've got to be part of it. If we're following Him, we're building the church too. And discipleship is how all that happens. And so it's just a matter of obedience. Not only is it obedience, but it's also persistence. Because Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth is His. And so under that authority, we're to be involved in this discipleship. And so when I think about that, I think about the disciples. You know, Pretty shortly into their disciple making, they're arrested. And they're brought before the authorities and they said, look, you stop teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they said, well, you know, God told us to teach it. You're telling us not to, you know, (laughs) who are we going to listen to? You or God? And then they let him go. They go back to disciple making (laughs) and they get arrested again. And they get brought before him again next. And this is the early chapters of Acts. They get brought before him again. They said, we told you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus and, they, and this time they didn't put it in the form of a question. They just said, look, whether it's right in your eyes for us to obey you rather than God, you can have to make that call, but we're going to tell you we're going to, we're going to obey God. We're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do. And that's, see, that's where persistence kicks in. When, our, when authorities come along and say, stop sharing the gospel, stop using your free speech to share the message of Jesus Christ, we have to stand up and say, no, we can't do that. We've got to be persistent in this. Why? Because the ultimate authority is God's authority. Every authority under there, and I'm not delegitimizing governmental authority, that also was instituted by God. But you know what? Every authority in this earth is underneath the authority of God. Jesus says He has a supreme authority above all of it. And so that's where the buck stops. And so we cannot give in to pressures. There's a lot of pressure in our society, the freest nation on the face of the earth, I believe. But yet, there's a lot of pressure starting to creep up in our society trying to take all the events of the church and keep them inside the church building. The church was never intended to be confined inside of the building. Yes, we meet in one. We conduct classes in one. It gets us out of the elements and the weather. But the gospel is meant to go through all the world. 
under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so every time the world tries to push us out of the public specter and back into the, the, the four walls of the church, we have to say, sorry, but no. And we have to be persistent in carrying out our gospel message. And so there, there the idea of being persistent is a little bit different, right? Being persistent, trying to shove your foot in somebody's door and keep it open, thats I don't think that's the best way to go about things. But being persistent to stand up for our rights to be able to share the gospel with other, with individuals, that, that we definitely need to be persistent in our efforts to share the gospel. Next, we also see Jesus unfolded for us the process of discipleship. What does discipleship involve? Well, it's a very simple thing. In fact, I remember one evangelist saying, you know what? Um, sharing your faith isn't hard. He says, just one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. That's, it's really that simple. It's, I receive forgiveness and I know where I got it and I'm going to tell you where you can find it. That's, that's about it. Right? And so it starts with that. It starts with this evangelism. It, it's just sharing our faith. It's trying to bring somebody that, that doesn't know Christ to where they do know Christ. It's trying to bring the, share with them what happened to you. Share with them Principles from God's Word or teaching from God's Word that shows that, that because of their sinfulness they need a Savior. And that Savior loved you so much He was willing to die on that cross for you and to rise again from the dead to be saved. And you just need Him in your life. It's just helping people come to Christ. It's that simple. That's the simplicity that the Apostle Paul argued for in the book of Romans. I love this passage in Romans chapter 10. It says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed... And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've not heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. People need to be saved in Little Fork, Minnesota. Forgiven of their sins. Well, how are they going to know that if we don't tell them? Your friends, your co-workers, the people God has put you in touch with, your family members, who's more right to tell them than you? Somebody that's already in contact with them. You're already there. You're halfway there. You've got to be able to share your faith so that they can hear, so that they can believe. That's how this works. We saw it in the early church. It worked very well. And the main command in this passage is the word make disciples. That's the verb. And then there's three participles, which means they modify the verb, right? And so the main command is make disciples. The other three words are how do we make disciples? The first one is the word go. It means kind of two different things, if you think about it. It means, one, we need to go. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. You cannot make disciples of all nations if you don't literally go. You've got to go there. And so that's why we're involved in things like supporting the Surrettes in Brazil. And we've supported Stapletons in Philippines and Myanmar and different places over the years. Burt's down in Ecuador. We support uh, the Beelers. And we support people at different places. That's why we, my trip to, to Ukraine to help train leadership out there this last year. And so we're trying to go. We're trying to send. We're trying to get it places. But it also can be interpreted while you're going. While you're going, make disciples. Now, I think it has to have both elements. Because we do have to literally go different places where there's no gospel to get it there. But you know what? There's a lot of us that aren't going those places Literally, we're helping to send to those places, but we're not going to pack all our bags up and move. Uh, if we did that, then they'd have to send a mission team back to Little Fork. But while you are going, in other words, while you're going about your life, while you're, while you're working, while you're playing, while you're meeting with family, while you're making friends, while you're doing all these different things that you do in life, make disciples. 
And you know, that's really where a lot of discipleship happens naturally, where conversations arise that deal with the gospel that that happen comfortably and naturally. And when people see something making a change in your life and they start to get curious and ask you questions, there's no greater time for discipleship than when somebody's asking you questions about it rather than you having to try to find a way to bring it up. But while we're going, we need to be involved in this process. So evangelism is the first step of the process. And the second part is baptism. Baptism, a very simple thing. Uh, The Bible intends it to be simple. It's a picture. When we're lowered under the water, the word baptizo in the Greek language means to immerse or to submerge. And so when we lower you under the water, it's a picture of what you believe. You're saying, I believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So when you get lowered under the water, it's a picture of Jesus dying and being buried. And when you're raised back up out of the water, it's a picture of Him coming out of the grave and the resurrection. God just gave us a physical, tangible way to express our faith. And so Jesus says we need to go and make disciples and baptize them. That's kind of our initiation rites, if you think of it that way. It's a, it's a, what you do to demonstrate your faith in a physical way. It's a public proclamation that this is now what I believe. I am now dead with Christ and I'm alive with Christ. I'm identifying myself with His death and resurrection. You know, you'd think something like that would be simple to understand. And sometimes it isn't. I remember my own situation. I wasn't, I was a little confused by it. My mom had had me sprinkled when I was a baby in a Presbyterian church, I think it was. And so I got talking to somebody, one of Lisa's cousins one time, and he was talking about baptism because his girlfriend was going to get baptized. I said, well, what's, what's baptism all about? And he said, well, it's not, it doesn't save you, but it's, uh, it's a step of obedience. Christ told us we're supposed to get baptized when we come to faith in Christ. We're, so you do it as a step of obedience. It's a picture of what you believe. I thought, wow. Well, if you're supposed to do it, I should probably do it. So I went to the pastor and I talked to him. And I said, you know what, I, I understand baptism's a good thing. You're supposed to do that. So I want, I, I want to do it. And I know you're baptizing her, so just put me on the list, you know. And he said, well, uh, we'll have to talk to you before it gets to that point. Because um, I hadn't come to Christ yet. I didn't really understand all this stuff yet. And uh, I knew Jesus died on a cross, but didn't know what it had to do with me. Uh, didn't figure I was all that, you know, needed any forgiveness. I thought I was okay. But uh, anyway... Uh, it came around to baptism day and we had never gotten together and talked. And so he just he baptized me and I still was lost. And so then about a year after that, I came to Christ. I came to Christ at a church service actually. And so after at the end of the church service, I went forward and I told the pastor, I need, I need Christ in my life. And I, I bowed my head right there and I, I prayed and asked Christ to come into my life, forgive me my sins. As soon as I got done, the pastor says, well, Greg, you want to get baptized tonight? I said, I don't know. How many times does the guy do this? You know, I, I told him I was sprinkled once as a baby. I got baptized about a year ago because I heard that was what you're supposed to do. Am I supposed to do it again or not? You know, and he, he took me to Acts chapter 19 and it showed there's a guy named Apollos who, who was uh, actually teaching the Word of God but hadn't heard the full message of Christ. And, and so he was teaching John the Baptist baptism and, and they, they asked him about that if he, if he knew about Christ. And he said, I don't know about Christ. And they told him about Christ. So then he put his faith in Christ. And when he did, he got baptized. And the pastor told me, he said, you know what? Your previous baptism did not represent your decision. It didn't represent your faith. And now that you have come to faith, he says it's right for you to go through baptism as an expression. This time it's an expression of what you believe. And so I got baptized that night. And so it's, it's really simple. People like me can muddle, muddle the waters and get it confused. <laughs> but but it's, it's really simple. It's an outward act of an inward belief. 
It's what they did in the early church. They got busy on it right away. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says, Those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. And so baptism is the second step in this process. The third step is what we call edification. Because He says you're going to make disciples, and then you're going to baptize them, and then after you baptize them, it says then you're going to teach them some more. And this is, this is what we do most every Sunday here, Wednesdays with our kids in our adult Bible study also and in our youth group, is we're teaching. Because we got a lot to learn about God and the nature of God and His Son and the Holy Spirit and, 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 and what we are before God and who we are in Him and, and how He wants us to live and, and what He has planned for us. He's got a lot of stuff in here. And so Jesus says, I want you to continue to teach Him. Continue to, the word edify means to, to build up. It's like what we see in Ephesians chapter 4. It says he's given us pastors and teachers and leaders to, to help us to learn the word of God till we all grow into maturity in this faith. And we're not tossed about by every wind of doctrine or new idea that comes along, but we have a solid, mature faith in Jesus Christ. And so he wants us to evangelize, to win the lost, baptize them, to show what they believe, and continue to teach and edify and build up in the body of Christ. We see that also in Acts chapter 2. We just read verse 41. The very next verse says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. You know, it's like a family. In our family, we would never think about little Asher back there laying on Zach right now. That little Asher, you know what? He's dependent on his mom. She's, she's feeding him. She's changing him. She, she's and Zach changes diapers too, just so he gets a little credit there. But... Uh, <laughs> You do all these all these things to nurture and care for that child, and as they grow up, you're going to be worried about their health. You're going to be concerned about their education. You're going to be concerned about bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's there's things that you protect your children from. There's things that you provide for your children. There's in other words, you don't just have the kid and then say, "Well, gave you life. There you go. Go enjoy it." Right? It would be tragic. But you nurture that along the way. Well, God's the same. God doesn't say, "Well, now they're saved in Christ. Yeah, let them go enjoy their life." He put together His church, His family, that we're to be a part of. And that's where we get nurtured and encouraged and, and taught and strengthened. And that's where we get built up and developed. You know, if, if this process got cut off after baptism, our growth would be greatly stunted. We would we'd never grow into what God really wants us to be in the, in the glorious life that he, he wants us to have in Him. God doesn't leave His children out in the cold any more than you would. But He brings them into this fold, into this family, and is there where we learn and we grow. Well, let's look lastly, real briefly, at the power of discipleship. And the power of discipleship is seen in the fact that Jesus didn't just give us this commission and then send us along our way. In fact, we call it the Great Commission, co-mission, because Christ gave us a mission, but He's also with us to do it. That's why we call it a co-mission and not a, just a mission. It's not just our mission. We're doing it along with Him. And that's where we find the power is in His promise at the end. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so as we go about and we're doing this process, as we're doing church, as we're evangelizing the lost, baptizing them into the church, teaching and edifying, building up one another, Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you in all that. So you know what? When you're uncomfortable about sharing the gospel with somebody, remember that. He's, He's with you. He'll be with you through this. It's a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. He, he can help you with that. As you say, well, I don't know what I don't know if I'm going to have the right things to say. Well, get in the Word of God and learn some of those things. In fact, I've got some things that will help you if you need some help along those lines. As you grow more in your faith, you'll have even more answers. 
Just, just share your faith. Share your experience of coming to Christ yourself. Jesus can use that. He's there, he's there with you. The power of this whole process is not found within ourselves. We're going to reason with people. We're going to give them evidences and stuff. But when it comes right down to it, it's the Holy Spirit working in their hearts and taking, taking our words and the, and, the, and the Scriptures that we share with them and the Holy Spirit doing a work in their heart. He can overcome all of our weaknesses. In fact, foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. So the power of this whole process is not in ourselves, it's in Christ. Well, Jesus started out this and he said by claiming his own authority, he says, look, I'm in charge and this is what I want to happen. In that, we see the the priority of going out and making disciples. And disciple making is that whole process of bringing somebody to faith in Christ, seeing them commit to faith through baptism and continuing to be nurtured and taught in the Word of God, being edified. And we also know that we're not in this alone. Jesus walks with us along the way.